Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. We are going to pick up where we left off in the book of Isaiah. It's chapter 12, and at a glance, it looks pretty short. And at a glance, it looks like it's a prophecy. So if you want to read along with me, we're going to begin with verse 1. And this time, since it does look like it's a prophecy, sort of like how we uh, are, have read the Psalms, or, you know, the Psalms that we read, did read. I'm just going to read the passage together and um, and then go back over them, um, rather than break it up verse by verse this time. So, if you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1 and 2, it looks like. 1, 2, and 3. And then we'll go over them and then pick up again. So, here we go. Verse 1. And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Oh, so might as well just keep reading because it's holy. Well, we'll not just stop there. Okay, so we'll go back because there's a couple of significant things there. So. First, it's, as you can tell by the title, if you're reading with the New King James Version like I am, this chapter is a hymn of praise is basically how it's being thought of or considered. It starts out with praise to God. Um, and we went over how what um, the Lord in all caps and what all that means before. And you see here in this case, it is Lord in all caps and verse 1. But then in verse 2, it's it says something very unusual, maybe even the first time that I think since um, we've been reading in the Old Testament, since that's where it occurs, not in um, uh, anywhere in the red letters of Jesus' teachings, um, does Jesus not pronounce God's name at all in the Gospels at all? Yet in the Old Testament, we hear here, Lord, where it says there, you see it's actually, if you use the, the tools that are provided on the site, you can see where the word YAH, in all caps, Y-A-H, is what's actually um, uh, being translated to Lord uh, with the word Y-A. Here, I'll give you the pronunciation so you can hear how they, how it's believed by scholars to be pronounced. Uh, just give me a second here. This is because it's believably how God's name is pronounced, at least according to um, um, let's see. Sorry, scholars and whatnot. Here we go. Oh, it would help if I turn the volume up. Oh, I'm being so clumsy. Sorry. All right. It's only six verses. It's taking me so long. Strong's H3050. Yah. Yah. So that's the way uh, some people believe to, it, uh, you say God's name in Hebrew. But again, the problem with that is I don't think Moses spoke ancient Hebrew. 
um, in uh, his time, he it was Hebrew, but he wasn't raised Hebrew. He was given up for adoption to Egyptians when he was just a little baby. That's the way it read. So Egyptians, as far as I know, probably spoke ancient Egyptian, but they had many different languages, languages they spoke in that part of the world back then. Uh, depending on what period uh, it was the people who were speaking it, which is way beyond my knowledge base. So I wouldn't even pretend to begin to know what that is. But I say all that to say, like we've said before, about understanding what God, the Father, the Almighty, the all, what that name would be. I don't personally need to know what it is since Again, I don't call my parents by their first names, even though, again, this is the 12-year anniversary of when I lost my mama. She's still mama to me. I don't need to be calling her by her first name, even though I know it. Um, so I don't, I'm not, I, I don't feel as driven as a lot of people seem to feel to know what God's name is and to say it. And then finding out that um, historically, uh, it wasn't written on purpose so that people would not be saying it. It just makes even more sense not to be saying what it is. That that's why there's just the four letters, um, not a whole name written down. And that's why there's so many variations. It's because people weren't supposed to be going around calling our daddy, their, our parent, by their first name. That's disrespectful. Um, but here it seems that's how they're pronouncing um, it. Uh, to be here in this verse, but one last thing about that before we move on, not only dwelling on it because it's such a short chapter. Um, when Moses had the interaction, like we read, the interaction at the burning bush, he asked plain, plainly, what is your name? Who am I going to say who sent me? And the answer was, tell them I am sent you. So I am would be the name and the group of Haya or Haya. I, however you pronounce it properly, and I say that respectfully, would only be it in Hebrew. And again, that's probably not the language Moses was speaking. Um, so uh, moving on, just food for thought, and though seeing what that, that's mentioned there in uh, the verse, to me, the kernel of truth, the seed of truth, the part that I'd hold on to is that whoever it is, that Isaiah is um, addressing as God Almighty. That's my understanding of it. I would agree with that same sentiment too about God Almighty being my strength and my song and my salvation, of course, through Jesus. So I don't have any issue with that. And that'd be the only reason that I, if you were reading along with me, you noticed I jumped over that word verse. Oh, so now the last passage for the last of this chapter, we'll begin with um, verse 3. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, oh, so that was part of the other passage. Sorry. So it's the part of that, the, the meaning of that part of the first part of the prophecy that Isaiah is seeing. To me, since none of that is capitalized, is saying that is addressing to us, not to Christ who the vision is referring to and that will have that living water like basically to um, seek salvation and find it in Jesus and in the red letters of what Jesus says the 
tithe of the entire Bible, those six books that have anything even attributed to Jesus. And now the next passage of um, prophecies of verses for it, beginning with verse four. And in that day you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. So um, this part of the prophecy seems to me to be saying that Isaiah is seeing the presence of Jesus walking with the people in his ministry, existing right there, and God walking in the midst of the people. Though they realized that many of them accepted it, many of them, many of them also saw it and rejected it, persecuted him, eventually killed him, not against his own will. He full, full well knew it going in that that's how it would turn out, um, but that that also wouldn't be, wouldn't be the end for him. And I think that's the message for us as Christians to know that even in death, for some who are Christians, that's not the end. And for others of us who are Christians, according to Jesus, we're going to pass from judgment and death into life. Um, those are the parts of the red letter Christian teachings that we've gone over again and again. Um, but so the next part of what um, the second part of the, the passage of the chapter is, again, saying give praises to God and to mention God, to make sure we talk about God and we share God with people in our daily walk. Um, verse five would be praising God in song, um, recognizing God's omnipotence and might and nature and creation. Um, and then verse six is again, praising God with our voice, with our being, with whatever we have the ability to do it with, giving praise to God and God's greatness. And the Holy, the Holy One, meaning Jesus, the Savior, the Christ, the Anointed One, even in their midst, walking in their presence, even though, again, fortunately, although ultimately in the big picture of it, it's not unfortunate, it's for our benefit um, that Jesus suffered the way Jesus did, that we have the Holy Spirit in this day to guide us and lead us to salvation, God willing. That's the last of this chapter, chapter will end this reading, um, except for we'll do our passage of the day. Um, and I'll also, with this reading, I'm going to attach um, a couple of things, if you would like to, as I always recommend, the Naked Truth readings. Check out the, um, the, the um, description box of the video uh, podcast. In this case, it will be a video because I put other than I was going to say, I'm going to attach a video to this um, reading um, so you can get a better understanding of Red Letter Christianity and its relation to the rest of the Bible. Um, and it's really short, it's less than 30 minutes. And um, and then the other part was, I slipped my mind on when I said that, oh, the passage of the day, the day. Um, it's Matthew 14, verse 30. And it's um, not red letter either, but it is one that I um, use in my daily um, um, meditation focus in my Christian walk. 
And so it is, Lord, save me. It's Matthew 14, verse 30. It's Lord, save me. Matthew 14, verse 30. It's what Peter says after Jesus walks on the water, people witness it. And again, that sounds and is miraculous because Jesus did it. We can do it now in modern times with a jet ski. Jesus did it without one. Um, but also Peter was able to walk on the water for a time until his doubts kicked in. His eyes saw the reality or of what his physical body was facing and then he couldn't walk on the water anymore and began to drown. He didn't immediately sink like lead. He began to drown. So just like his faith began to wing, it seems like his uh, buoyancy began to wing and he began to sink. But he had Jesus right there all along, just like I think is the point of that whole narrative is to know whether we are blessed like Peter and the disciples were to have Jesus in the presence in their presence and see him and know the help is there or if Jesus is there and sleep in the boat and there's a storm arising also with 12 disciples right there and experiencing it but the storm still hit them or if we're in modern times and Jesus is not here with us physically that we can see it but Jesus is still there Jesus is still with us so keep that faith hold on to that faith and um don't doubt um and but when we need to cry out Lord save me even with the faith that we do have even if we have faith like Peter to walk on water for a moment and then you know the human frailty kicks in and we seem to begin to sink Lord save me Matthew 14, verse 30. Thank you again for joining me. I love you. Thank you again. Peace be with you. We're going to do a top 10 countdown of the 10 topics that churches most confuse or use to deceive and lie to their uh, flock about, even though the Bible says the exact opposite. So we're going to do our top 10 list, beginning with, uh, we'll go start with the lighter ones starting with people say God is not the author of confusion for instance so let's see what the Bible says at the very beginning the book of Genesis right it says this is God speaking if you're gonna believe it's God saying come let us go down in there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech that's where the whole Tower of Babel uh, story comes in where uh, where clearly God is the original author of confusion. Why else would he say that if you're going to believe that's God? So that's just a light example of how churches will slide lies into the picture and confuse. And if you're not careful, you'll believe it. But that's just one example. If you look further uh, to, for instance, churches will talk, people will go around saying, oh, they don't have any regrets, uh, live a life without regrets, and don't concern themselves with anything about how they've done people and if they've done right or if they've done wrong. They go through life not thinking about the different things that have happened and the way they've treated people. And yet, that's a pretty bold statement since if, if you can go through life without regrets, you're doing something God wasn't even able to do. Since if you look back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 7, you'll see that even God himself appears. If you're going to believe this is God speaking, says, So the Lord said, I will destroy man 
whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So here, if you're going to believe the Old Testament, you've got to believe this is God talking. And even God himself, in the very first book of the Bible, already faces regrets. So if humans are going around without regrets, you're doing something God didn't even pull off. So again, kudos to you. Uh, uh, realistically, you may want to consider your ways, though, actually. How in the world can you go through thinking that you're, you've accomplished something God wasn't even able to accomplish? But it's possible, if that's what you want to believe. But that's just one topic. If, if you want to go further, there's the next thing that churches like to lie to you about, and or maybe I should say mislead people about, uh, their flock about. It, it's truly lying, though. I mean, because it's right there for you to read, but maybe they just don't read it. So, just to be sure, we'll go to the book of Leviticus now, uh, where it talks about the different food laws and things you're allowed to eat and not allowed to eat. So, if you go to Leviticus chapter 11, for instance, you'll see there's a laundry list of things that you can eat, cannot eat, aren't supposed to eat, can't touch, all sorts of things, from um, shellfish to pork. Uh, it's taking its time loading, but give it time. It should be up. Let's see. Uh, Leviticus. Oh, sorry. Maybe this would help. Oh, it's Leviticus chapter 11, though. While this loads, uh, you'll see for yourself this site trip sometimes. I'm not sure why. But let's see. Oh, it's loading. Just give it time. So anyway, in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 11, there's all sorts of things you can't eat. Um, like I said, whether it's shrimp and lobster, even though churches nowadays think that's just fine. They'll picket funerals of gay people or gay soldiers or even just straight soldiers uh, protesting, saying it's because of the acceptance of gay people. And yet... Uh, They'll forget all about the lobsters and shrimp and all the other sorts of things you're not supposed to eat also in favor of the things that are on their own hearts and on their own minds instead of what Jesus actually, what the Bible actually says. And I'm not sure why it's taking so long to load, but it's in Leviticus chapter 11. But if you don't want to take my word for it, let's see, maybe this will do better. see we'll go on to Genesis chapter 6 here we go alright so this is where we talked about the um, uh, Jesus God having regrets you see did it guess? oh Sorry, I said 6, but it's actually Genesis chapter... Oh, now we've got Leviticus now. Okay, so let's go with Leviticus. There we go. So, there's Leviticus. And you can see different foods and things permitted and forbidden. And I'm not going to read through them with you. Read through them now, because um, I don't adhere to them anyway. But um, I don't believe this is God actually speaking. But if you're going to believe the Old Testament and that this is God speaking and rules laid down by God, then one, you have to believe that God changed his mind between what he just told us in Genesis and hear what he's telling us in Leviticus. 
And um, and that's not even all of it either, because it turns out it changes again once you get to the New Testament. But that's just an example. Um, that's the third example. So the fourth example would be uh, the death penalty. You you know, people nowadays will walk around saying that the death penalty is totally righteous and something that should be done and even carried out swiftly, as in you should shed the blood of the people who are guilty quick as if they don't know uh, the justice system is slanted against black people and that plenty of innocent people have been murdered through the death penalty it's uh, just state sanctioned murder but people will do that and they'll even have the nerve to cite the bible and yet if you look back to the very first murder mentioned in the bible um, uh, when Cain murders Abel, Cain is afraid that he's going to face the death penalty. And so he says, surely you've driven, he's saying him out from the face of the ground. He shall be hidden from God's face. He shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds him will kill him. So he's afraid of the death penalty. But what does the Lord say? And the Lord said to him, if you're going to believe this is God, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold and the Lord set a mark on Cain lest anyone finding him should kill him so that's clearly God saying no it's not for people to uh, take the blood of someone else if even if they've committed murder you know even if it's the death penalty it's not for us to do but then again you if you keep reading it turns out that I guess God must change his mind a lot if you're gonna believe this is God because in the same book by the time you get to chapter 9 God's changed his mind again about the death penalty because if you see scroll down to chapter 6 uh, verse 6 I'm sorry uh, 5 and 6 better said surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast I will require it and from the hand of man from the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man whoever sheds man's blood by man his blood shall be shed so um for he in the image of God he made man and that, we're going to get to that subject too but you see here just that quick now suddenly God has had a change of heart and it's okay to take your to take out carry out the death penalty on someone so I guess you have to choose which who is it you're going to believe which verse do you want to line up with your belief system um, but that's again that's just the beginning there are all kinds of contradictions from Old Testament to New, but even from chapter to chapter, even within the same book as we've just read. But um, we'll keep going. The next subject, the fifth one, will be revenge. If you think about um, the Old Testament, what it says about revenge, we can go to Deuteronomy 19 and we'll scroll down to verse 21. And it talks about an eye for an eye. Let's see, here you go. Uh, you shall not pity. Life for life shall be for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So seems pretty clear. You, if somebody hurts you, you can hurt them back. And yet, um, if you go, if you're a Christian, then you you gotta know where I'm going with this. What Jesus actually says about revenge um, in Matthew chapter five. If we scroll down to verse thirty-nine, God, uh, Jesus. If you're a Christian again, we call God. Uh, Jesus says, 
But I tell you, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, just like we just read. But Jesus says, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. So Jesus is saying, no, it's not for you to carry out revenge for yourself. Um, even though, like we said, we just read it. Or you're going to believe that's God in the Old Testament talking. God said it's just fine to carry out revenge and do an eye for an eye. So, again, you have to choose. If you're a Christian, Jesus is who you're supposed to be listening to. And these are the letters, these letters in red mean they're quotes of Jesus, just in case you don't know. But we're not done. Those are just the five lighter ones that, um, that, that I found that are contradictions or even outright lies that churches will tell you and still keep people roped into that thinking. The next one, or the next five are probably going to be the most controversial of the of of all ten, but you know we're here for. If you're a believer, you're supposed to be about the truth, not about um, nonsense. So let's stick to the truth. So if you do a search in the Bible for uh, the phrase uh, "feet like brass," you'll see that descriptions come up in Revelation and in Daniel that talk about uh, a description of Jesus and of God. And what do you know? It turns out. God's dark-skinned. Jesus is dark-skinned if you're going to believe it's Jesus in both places. Either way, if you're going to believe it's in, in Revelation, it's directly saying Son of Man and Jesus. But here you see how it describes him physically. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Uh, again, and to the angel of the church of Theotera, these things sa says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. Brass is not pale or pink at all. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms like, and feet like burnished bronze in color. One of the few places the Bible even discusses skin color, and it makes a point to discuss us, discuss it here and let us know it's describing uh, Daniel's vision of, of apparently a heavenly vision of God, or maybe Jesus in heaven, or somehow this is God. And uh, if you read in Daniel, it's God he's talking about. Um, so that's not white. Um, I saw still another mightily angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. So again and again, you can see where it, the descriptions are. Uh, brass, it's, which is not pink, it, or it's not white, it's brown, it's light brown, it's golden brown, it's not white. Not that race matters to me, but it's so that you know that churches will lie to you. But even if that's not enough to convince you, you can read further descriptions of what it says Jesus actually physically looked like when it describes his hair, which absolutely sounds like definitely not white. It says his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. And but if you read back in uh Daniel, I watched till thrones were put in place were put in place an ancient of days, which shows that clearly there is aging in a spiritual body, was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. Sounds like an afro to me. Whether it's an afro for a black person or a Jewfro for a Jewish person, that's not straight blowing in the wind stringy hair. That's woolish. That's fluffy. That's a fro. His uh, throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels of burning fire. Um, so that's Daniel's vision of Jesus or God as we believe him to be. And that's the Old Testament. So again, he's not white. 
Uh, you may want to believe it, but he's not white. It does. It clearly says he's not white. It, he's it, he's not. So that's one. And like I said, it's going to be controversial if you aren't willing to accept the truth. But it gets even more controversial if you think about what the Bible says. Uh, what churches will tell you about uh, weed, marijuana, for instance, uh, you know, specifically. And they'll for, they'll think put all their all their feelings about marijuana on what God says and put words in God's mouth. But when it it actually turns out that God says again, if you go all the way back to the very beginning, and God said, "See, I've given you every green herb. I've given you every herb that you'll see, which is on the face of all the earth." Every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. A vegetarian diet, but not just that, every green herb. And in case you don't know it, marijuana is called herb because it is an herb. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. So, again... Believe what you want to believe, but don't put words in God's or Jesus's mouth. Clearly here, weed is not a, a devil's invention. It's one of the things God gave us to use, to eat, to consume. And if you don't want to smoke it, you there are edibles. So you could still eat that herb, as, just like it says here. But the point is, don't let churches just twist the truth and twist their dogma around your neck. And hang you up in things that get you caught up that you shouldn't even be caught up in. So that's just, uh, that's the seventh one. So it only gets even heavier from there. Um, if the eighth thing that churches will lie to you about is, believe it or not, heaven. They'll tell you um, um, uh, all of, uh, different things about heaven. And this person's gone to heaven, that person's going to hell, and all of that stuff. But it turns out, Jesus says, no one has gone to heaven. And don't take my word for it. Go to John chapter 3 and you see it verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Meaning Jesus. That's the only one. I mean, and maybe since Jesus' appearance and crucifixion, the, the gates have been opened and more people have been admitted. But Jesus is saying clearly, up until this point, up until his coming, up until the mission he arrived to perform, no one, uh, meaning not Adam, not Eve, not anyone has made it to heaven. No one. And churches may try to lie to you and say, oh, your your loved one is resting in heaven. Like I said, maybe they are since all of this has already been accomplished. But Jesus himself, it's in red, is making it clear that up until his coming, no one had actually made it into heaven. No one. I'm, there's no other way around that, even though churches will lie to you about it. So now we go to we make it to the top two things that churches will lie to you about, and they are extremely controversial. But again, are you going to worry about what people think? Or are you going to worry about what God says? So the first one is about homosexuality. Churches will, uh, you know, they'll demonize homosexuality left, right, and sideways, and they'll use verses like these: "Where you shall not lie with a male as with the woman, it is an abomination." And there's a laundry list of them in the Old Testament, and then Paul picks up some and throws them in in the New. Um, but it turns out that's not what Jesus said. And of course, like I said, you're entitled to believe what you want to believe and try and live by the Old Testament and the New. But why burden yourself with bondage when it turns out 
if you're a Christian, you have an out. You have an option. Because these are not the teachings of Jesus. None of them are in red. But if you do want to see what Jesus says about homosexuality, or even not even homosexuality, but a male lying with the man, as they would with the woman, as it says here, it turns out Jesus has no problem with that. And you don't have to take my word for it. If you go to Luke 17, 34, we'll scroll down. See for yourself. Jesus is telling us about a prophetic vision of the end times and the end of the world as we know it. And what it will be like when he comes again. What we call the second coming. He tells us here, just after talking about Sodom and Lot's wife and all that. And we know what's tied to Sodom and Gomorrah. The whole thought of demonizing homosexuality. Yet, it turns out after Jesus talks about Sodom and Lot's wife who was lost on the exit from Sodom. It turns out what he says about in the end times. Excuse me. I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed. That lets us know a homosexual relationship, a same-sex relationship, however you want to, whatever tickles your ear easiest. It lets you know two people of the same sex are in the same bed. And what what does he say? The one will be taken and the other will be left. Uh, clearly not both going to hell if you're believing that that's where one's going to be taken to or left in. One is going to be saved and one is not. And so it doesn't matter that they're having that they're lying in bed with another man. It doesn't matter that Old Testament stuff. If you want to hold on to it, feel free. But it's not what Jesus says. And he goes further. He says two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. So that's even more explicit, letting us know that just like the two men are lying in bed together, which we know socially is not something. It has a social implication. It did then and does now. So he's letting us know that's not what's going to bar you from heaven. That's not what's going to send you to hell. That's not what your salvation is based on. And yet, church after church after church will never preach this verse. Never touch this passage. Never let people know the door is open to salvation to whomsoever will. Even if you sleep with other, even if you're male and you sleep with other men, or your feet, a woman and you sleep with other, grind with other women. However you want to look at it, you can hold on to what condemns and excludes, or you can embrace what accepts and includes. It's a choice. Um, so that's like the number nine thing, and the tenth one, probably the most, con- probably the most controversial of them all, is um, about transgender people. And cross-dressing and the like. You know people will condemn that. You know, transgender people, particularly transgender people, black transgender people like myself, are the number one most targeted for hate crimes in the world, in the United States. And even more discriminated against than all the other demographics of people, uh, whether it be old people, Jews, women, blacks, Latinos, all combined even gay people combined, transgender people, particularly black transgender people, are the most targeted for all of that. And it turns out churches, people who call themselves holy and religious, will use verses like this to help back up their hate. Uh, a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, or shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord. So we have this in Deuteronomy, Old Testament, and there are other verses, Leviticus, and they go into the same subject, but they'll skip over what Jesus actually says. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says in Luke that um, that's not what it's about either. He, if you scroll down to Luke, let's go down to, or is it chapter, here we go, chapter 12. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Luke 12, chapter 20. Luke chapter 12. I'm sorry. Uh, verse 22. This passage. Then he said to his disciples, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on clothing. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. So he's letting us know there it's not about what you put on your body either. Your body, your life is, doesn't have anything to do with the designer clothes you wear or what gender of the clothes you wear. But then just to, to hammer the point home that just how twisted churches will use the Bible and skip over what Jesus says, what the Bible says, and just preach what they want you to know. Look at the beginning. Go back even to the beginning if you don't want to embrace what Jesus says. At the very beginning of the Bible when it talks about the creation of man. We'll go to Genesis. Let's see. Oh, one. Here we go. This is the very beginning. Like, it, if you're a believer, this is the beginning. Uh, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So it's saying here, uh, you could read over it, but it's saying that the, the creations at the beginning were created both male and female, as in hermaphrodites, which actually line, aligns with a lot of what we know biologically about um, all sorts of different uh, species. Very few, Well, there's only a few, but there are hermaphrodite hermaphroditic uh, species of uh, of life on the earth, like a worm, for instance, is able to produce asexually. Having both male and female parts doesn't need to have sex to reproduce. So it would make sense that if truly Adam was the first creation, that he would be um, hermaphroditic, having both parts. Because if you read further, how else could how else could um, you uh, give birth otherwise? How else could you procreate otherwise? But just uh, to be sure, if we read further in Genesis also, um, verse 2 and go down to verse 5, it lets us know here that just so you don't think that he already created men and women at that point where it says he created a male and female, you see here where it says this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground so that lets us know here a couple of things that there was no man yet just like it just said so that lets us know those creatures created at the beginning just now we read before Genesis 2 before this passage that were created male and female are not the same creations that he's talking about that we're reading about here I believe those creations were probably the angelic cherub seraphim those sort of creatures I believe those entities I think that's what the first creation those male and female in the image of God I think that's what uh, was created there in one in Genesis 1 since again there's no man created yet by the time we get to Genesis 2 but then to hammer the point home to buttress that argument, if you read further in Genesis also, well, I think it's Genesis, let me see. Yeah, it is Genesis. If we read a little further down, that um, after he created um, Adam, male and female, not just male, a hermaphrodite, uh, we go a little further, and where is it? I think it's 21, let's see. Okay, so yeah, we have here Adam naming all the creatures, 
And here we go. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. So this tells us a lot of things that churches will read over also, that clearly Adam himself was hermaphrodite. He was part male and part female. Otherwise, how could the female be taken out of him? And I think physical proof of this is most males, if you look between our legs, um, in the what's it, the perineum, that area between the anus and the testicles, there is a line going up between, sort of sealing the two halves of your body. At least on me, it's like that. On um, just about every guy I've ever seen has that same thing. It seems to me more likely that that's where, and that's the where the female part would go also. It seems to me that's the part where the that separated the female from the male in Adam. And that part is pure speculation, but it sort of makes sense if you think about it biologically. Like I said, with hermaphroditic reproduction, asexually. But it makes sense if you look at your physical body, how the rest of your body doesn't have a line passing through it like that. Um, but women have a line passing through them in that area. It's open. And men, males, have a line passing through us that same way. And it's closed. Just like it says here, the area of the flesh was closed. Um, so we could believe what we want, but the Bible it says many different things that um, people in churches just don't teach or preach or believe or explore or even willing to open their minds to. But it's still there. So that, um, oh, that's the top 10 list. If you'd like to join me to read further and explore more about what the Bible actually says about things, join me for the Naked Truth. We'll be doing our regular reading in just a moment um, if you have the time. Or you can check out the collections area here on Twitch of past readings while they last. Or if you're an adult, you can go to my website, hungtgirl.com, hungtgirl.com, sorry. Click yes, and you'll be taken into the adult area. You can click on the pictures. They're actually free videos. Um, you can explore the links on the left about my body, mind, and soul. And uh, you can check out the Living Water Chapel page to see what the Bible says more specifically about these different topics and when we read over them. Or you can join me again for our Matt and Mark Mondays where we go over those Gospels, or John Luke Wednesdays, where we go over those Gospels. Thank you so much. Stay safe. God bless you. And please love your neighbor as you love yourself by wearing a mask and washing your hands. Stay safe. Peace.